to know a miracle? This morning we finish up chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Which means that um, we have 24 verses and we're done with 1 Corinthians. Of course, that would be chapter 16. Uh, And I can tell you right now, I've only got about eight messages out of the first two verses. In case you were wondering. We're going to have a word of prayer. We're going to read the word of the Lord. We're focusing on verses 50 through 58. Paul's praise of victory because of the resurrection. Father, we come before you. Father, I lift these people called by your name to you that they be desperate for you. They be overwhelmed with you. They that you would be their very breath. And the Father that sets before us this day a task. And Father, I pray that we not only accept the task, but we do it with eagerness. That we do it in the power of the Lord. That we do it in the purpose of the Lord. And we do it for the exaltation of you and you alone. Father, overwhelm us with the truth of the resurrection. That regardless of where we are this day, Lord, it would be our comfort, it would be our focus, and it would be the thing that draws us to even more desperation and dependence upon the King of kings and Lord of lords. To you and you alone, in Christ's name, amen. Verse 50. Now I say this, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable, and this mortal must put on immortality. But when this perishable will have put on imperishable, and this mortal will have put on immortality, Then will come about the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. The power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Oh, this is some good stuff here. What has happened is, the first 49 verses of this text, Paul shows you the resurrection. Starts it off with the first 11 verses and the proof of the resurrection. True, legitimate proof. Eyewitness accounts. Enemies who eyewitness accounts of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. A person who denied Christ seen the resurrection. The Christ's half-brother, his mortal brother, who said, this man has lost his mind, seen the resurrection. 
So if you had that many eyewitnesses, I'm thinking that, what? What do you figure? It happened, right? But then he shows you that there's so much importance wrapped up in the resurrection that if you, and I'm talking about your and my bodily resurrection, that if it's not true for us, then what the heck is our message? What are we going to just tell everybody? Jesus raised. <laughs> We're dead. What are you going to tell them? And you start seeing how it's woven into the very fabric of who we are and who we are going to be. And then he just, he just explodes in 50. Now, brethren, flesh and blood. And he talks about this great transformation. He says, you know what? Not all of us are going to die to be resurrection because in the twinkling of an eye and the trumpet sound in a moment, we will all be changed. Okay. We will be given a vessel, a body that has the ability to live in heaven. Not only does it have the ability to live in heaven, it has the ability to go forth from this place to heaven. Right now you have a vessel that has the ability to carry you through this life. Right? And it functions, shall I say, adequately. Okay? It accomplishes what we need it to get accomplished in this life. Right? But there's coming a great transformation. That's verses 50 and 53. But then he says, I want to tell you about this triumph. This amazing triumph. This, verses 54 through 56. Death is swallowed up. The effect of death is completely obliterated. It's gone. It's, its existence is non-existent. And its sting is gone. The word sting literally means its poison is gone. It has no ability on you anymore. And that is true for us today. But we do long for it in the future, right? This transformation hasn't taken place. Right? But there's coming a time when that sting will be gone. We can have a loved one right now who knows the Lord Jesus Christ and we watch their bodies fall into decay and fall into the point of death and they're gone. And there's a heartache that we have because of the loss of a loved one. But there's a great joy. We do not grieve as those who have no hope. We have a great joy that lays out there in front of us and says, you know what? I'm going to see him again. Okay? And the next time I see him, it's going to be in that heavenly body. And then in that heavenly body, we are going to hang out and we're going to be doing some really weird things. But it's going to be a blast. Nothing like what we experienced here. That is that triumph. That sting has been removed. The law has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. The guilt that had comes to me from the law has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. The penalty has been paid. Which would bring us to verse 57 that says, You should be grateful to the Lord. Thanks be to God. That should overwhelm us. That should absolutely blow our socks off. That should be something that we just live in a state of gratitude. Be thankful for all things. Why? Because you get a resurrected body. And you're out of here. You're out of here. Okay? Which brings me to today. Because of this massive praise. Therefore. Therefore. 
I'm going to give you a little warning here. See where it says, my beloved brethren? Okay. Anytime Paul gets lovey-dovey, okay, get ready. All right? Because his lovey-dovey, he's going to get ready to lay it on you. Because of this great transformation in the future, because of this great triumph in the future, because of grateful hearts all the time for what God has accomplished, therefore, listen, brothers, if all this resurrection stuff is true, then he just lays two big old things right on the top. Boom. Why? Because this future resurrection has present implications. He lays two things. He says you need to stand true and work hard. Now let's pray. Not just kidding. <laughs> what? I'm hungry. If the resurrection is a reality, he says, I don't want you to be moved. I don't want you to vacillate. This should be something that I could ponder the transformation. This should be something that I should understand this triumph that God has graced you and I with. This should be something that should overwhelm my heart with thanksgiving with every breath I breathe. To the point it should affect my day-to-day operations. Be steadfast, he says. He says here, be steadfast. He says, immovable. If this is true, if this is true that I am going to live in the heavenlies, if this is true that I am headed for an eternal kingdom, then where am I laying up my treasures? If this true... This resurrection thing is true. Let me ask you a really simple question. What else matters? What else matters? If the kingdom is everything and all of this is passing. Paul says, therefore. You better start working for that kingdom. Now remember, this is a a hosed up church. First six chapters, he just blasts them with both barrels. You guys are suing each other. You are condoning sexual immorality. You're not even preaching Christ. You act like lost people. You don't care about causing other people to stumble. You guys are taking of the Lord's table drunken festival. You guys have got this thing messed up. But because of the resurrection, you need to be steadfast. You need to work hard. Um, Gordon Clark had this quote. I quote, therefore, we should mortify emotion, be steadfast, unchangeable, not erratic, not scatterbrained, easily discouraged, and should multiply our good works in the knowledge that the Lord will make them profitable. Unquote. 
If this is true, now think about this for a second. He's talking about a bodily resurrection from the dead. You will receive a vessel, a container, that will hold your soul for the rest of your life for eternity. And it has the abilities to hang out in heaven and no ability, whatever, whatsoever to sin or even to realize sin or even to think of sin or even to know of sin. But other than that, it's just like this one. Every good work in the Lord in this world has eternal ramifications. Key phrase, in the Lord, in this world. There are a lot of people busy. There are a lot of people busy for Jesus. I just don't know if Jesus is really wanting them to do what they're doing. Jesus himself said this, Behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me to give to every man according as his works shall be. That's what Jesus said. Everything that you and I do has eternal qualifications. It has eternal ramifications and it has eternal consequences. Everything you do. Everything I do. How important is this? Well, in a couple of months, eh, maybe a little longer than that, We'll be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body. You know who he's talking to here, right? Christians. According to what he has done, whether good or bad. Verse 10, chapter 5, 2 Corinthians. Fascinating statement, don't you think? Ephesians chapter 2, we like to quote this text. Um, I I don't believe that we really pay attention to the text. We like to get into the faith and grace and not of yourselves and all the rest of it. So we miss, I think, part of the importance of this text. It's Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 6. It says this, and will raise us up with him. Okay, so you can see what the context is, right? What is that? The resurrection. Raise us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. All right? So that in the ages to come, he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and the kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself. It is a free gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. And verse 10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand so that we would walk in them. Hmm, interesting, don't you think? So, Paul is telling us that because of this amazing victory that is beyond human understanding, you need to be steadfast, immovable, and abounding. 
the fire of the resurrection in your soul should keep you there. And just in case you were wondering when, it just says always. And if you translate that from the original language, you get always. Steadfast, immovable is, is the way it is in the New American Standard. This is a fascinating word. Um, every once in a while I run into a word that just... This one's good. It's an adjective, and it literally means uh, to take your seat, have it fixed and settled. Okay, uh, in the uh, synagogues in in Israel, if if you go to the the ruins of the synagogue, you will find a place called the chair of Moses. Okay, and this is where the theologian sat. Okay, if there was ever a, 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 a controversy in the scriptures, you would take it to whoever had the seat of Moses. Okay, a fascinating thing about the seat of Moses, you can still find every one of them. Okay, that's fascinating, don't you think? You know why? They're made of limestone. It ain't like they just corrode. And I got news for you, it ain't like somebody just pick it up and carry it off. Yeah, or somebody already have that in their house. Okay, but what it means is, is the word of God is a stone. And whoever is sitting on that be set and fixed in that and you are unmovable. And that's the term that is used here. It's an interesting word. Um, Cane is what it means, is, is the word. It's literally just one word, and it's trans, tr- translated to us, steadfast and immovable, because kene means steadfast and immovable. All right? Uh, if you take the noun of kene, this is the verb. If you take the, 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 the noun, we translate it into English. You know what we call it? Cinema. Motion picture. But the term here is akenas, ametakenas. That's why you have two words describing it. All means no. Kenas, if you translate it into noun, means motion. So it's no motion, but he adds meta in the middle of it. You know what that means? I don't even want you twitching. I want you stone solid, immovable, steadfast. It's like uh, if you've ever been to the tomb of the unknown soldier, I've been to the tomb of the unknown soldier here and the one in Moscow. And those soldiers stand and a bee can land on them and sting them and they will not twitch. Nothing happens. They will not move. They've been trained. They refuse to move. They are there on guard. Okay, and that is the kind of terminology that he is using here. He's saying, I don't want you moving. I don't want you twitching. I want you steadfast. I don't even want you to twinkle. Don't be a motion picture. Don't let your theology be that of the Ephesians 4.14 who are tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine 
Be rock solid in this. Why? If you are rock solid in the fact that you're living in the heavenlies and everything you do has eternal ramifications, eternal qualifications, guess what? You ain't moving me. You ain't moving me. Listen, I know Christians today that take the name and every day you see someone, they have another belief or they've had another epiphany or they've had another understanding or they have another and they're just battered around they don't know what the bible says this person taught me this and i believe that well but this person taught me this and it doesn't fit that but that's good too and i well i like that one and that one's and it's you know i have a baskin robbins theology 33 flavors and paul is saying i don't want you to be victimized it's obvious you guys are struggling with sin. Rock solid and set down your theology. Understand the resurrection. Understand the great transformation. Understand this triumph. Understand this thanksgiving. And therefore go and stand in it. Don't, you, you, brothers and sisters, you need to settle this. You need to sit on this. You need to stand on this. You need to place your feet on this and be immovable and steadfast. No one sways me. I don't want to hear about no Easter bunny. I don't want to hear about no chocolate eggs. Okay, I want to talk about the bodily resurrection. Raised from the dead. There's nothing on the planet earth that offers that. Christ has given it as a free gift to all who would believe. And we sing Amazing Grace. And do you hear how pitiful that song is? Amazing Grace. It is awesome grace. It is phantasmagorical grace. I do not have a verb or an adjective or a noun or anything that can cover that grace. And be rock solid in that truth. Brothers and sisters, I hate to say this. This should just make you want to just jump up and down and shout. I mean, almost even get charismatic. We should be holding up our hands going, my God. Stand for this. Be immovable. The resurrection is a reality. And that is what you and I must stand on. Rock Solid. Know this. If ever the doctrine of the resurrection wavers, we will abandon ourselves to living the standards of the world. What do you see in the church today? The church today has abandoned the doctrine of the resurrection. Because I look at the church today and it looks just like the world. And you know what happens? If there's no eternal consequences, then what's my motivation? You stand on it. You don't let those who come and want to move you. And you stand on that and you become rock solid. Okay? If that's it... I'm standing on it. Then look what he says next. Always abounding in the work of the Lord. Work hard with the view of the bodily resurrection. Listen, 
if you work hard, there's times you have been discouraged. When you get discouraged, let me ask you one really deep theological, philosophical question. What are you looking at? Because I can tell you what you're not looking at. You ain't looking at the bodily resurrection. Because if you're looking at the bodily resurrection, then you know what? I know whatever I'm doing is not in pain. And there's times that you feel like you're just doing something and I'm just in this now. And you hear it this way. I'm just in a rut. But if it's God's rut, that's exactly where you're supposed to be. And you should count it all joy. With a grateful heart. I like the way the Apostle Paul writes this because he does it so much better than me. He says it this way. Always abounding. I like that. It's got a just a poetic. You know what it means? You work to the point of exhaustion with sweat. Literally work so hard. You are wearied. Did you read the other word? Always. Did you get that? I am going to do the work of the Lord in a point of exhaustion. After five o'clock. Before five o'clock. I am going to do the work of the Lord to the point of physical exhaustion. When? I'll do it when I retire. Okay, because I get my 401k, then I'll have all kind of money and I can just go help Jesus. I, I will do the work of the Lord on a mission trip to Mexico. We'll call it a spiritual vacation. The word abounding, literally its implication is overdo it. You ever thought about that? Has anybody overdone their work for the Lord? Lord, I've just done too much. Understand your motivation here, people. The bodily resurrection. Did I tell you? We don't get out of this thing alive. So what is it that you're overdoing now? What is it you're doing now in light of the resurrection? Listen, this word here, abounding. Oh, God. I want you to think about this for a second. It comes out of Ephesians chapter 1, verse 8, which he lavished on us. Okay, the word lavished there is the word abound. Same word that you have here. Abound in your work for the Lord. Always. And he says he lavished on us. Okay, it's, it's that when God was gracious to you, you know what? He overdid it. His grace, He overdid it. 
He lavished His grace. How did He lavish it? In all wisdom and insight. He, he overdid it. It's the same word. This superabounding in all wisdom, this superabounding in knowledge and in grace. Same word. So, in light of that, He expects us to overdo it in service. Anybody here guilty? Just a question. You don't have to raise your hand. I didn't answer my hand. Lightning comes to the roof. I could end up in a drought or I could be a drought. Listen. On the basis of the resurrection, that in, in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye, we will all be changed. The fact that we have triumphed over death. Death has no call on us. Has nothing on us. If there is a resurrection, if there is a reward, if there is this kingdom, if all of that is true, we should get with it. Every single one of us. How, how do we lose ourselves pitifully in the things that fade away? You ever thought about it? We're pathetic at times at the things that distract us and just, and it's going to fade away. Now, some of you I can look at and you're thinking, oh man, I ain't never overdone it. And I strive hard not to overdo it. I mean, what if it's a long race? <laughs> I'd like to have some energy when I get to the end of it. But I want you to think about what a word this really is for thousands of Christians who work, who pray, who give, and who suffer. Moment by moment by moment, unrelenting. But it's also a word for those who don't want to sweat a lot because sweating is uncomfortable. What if I stretch something out? I, I mean, I, I was praying so hard that I pulled a hamstring. Well, have you seen, you know what I'm talking about. I hear it and I am bombarded with it on a daily basis as a pastor. You know, we have ministries that are based on refreshing clergy. What the heck is that? We have a place where you can go and you can contemplate your narcissistic navel while you ask God what you would have me do. You know what? I wish a bunch of them would just stay there because they are making a mess of it. Okay? But I got news for you. I, I've had people come in. You need to take a break. You need a sabbatical. You need this. You need that. Really? I want out of this thing. And I'm going to go right on straight through it. Well, you know, I, and I hear guys tell me, well, you know, I'm thinking about retiring in a few years from the pastorate. How do you retire from the pastorate? Does Jesus send you your 401k? How do you do that? I believe, beloved, brethren, 
sisters, we need to burn out. Flame on. We need to get going. It's time for overtime. This is overdue. We need to overproduce. We need to expel beyond what we can imagine because it's only been lavished on us. We need to abound. When? You know what's nice about this text? It don't say pastors need to abound always. It says, beloved brethren. Well, see, that means women don't have to do it. (laughs) Got that, Gary? You dudes need to pick up your end. It is time to overdo. Listen, I can rest when I get my little cloud in the harp. Well, ain't that how it works? I, I don't understand. This should excite us. I mean, but we freak out. You want me to work harder? Oh, wait. I haven't done anything yet. <laughs> so, I have a small baseline here to start with. <laughs> anything I do from here will be overdoing it. Because <laughs> I ain't done nothing. And you know what? The church shows it. That's why you see churches, the churches that are growing numerically, you know how it's come they're growing numerically? I can tell you how. They hire ministers. I have a minister for the old people, for the young people, the going to be young people, the baby people, the people who are single, the people who need to be single, the people who are singing and the people who ain't singing. And I got it covered. Okay, why? That's because you don't have to do nothing. And Paul says, no, you need to always be overdoing it in light of the bodily resurrection, which has been given to you as a free gift from Jesus Christ himself. Everybody wants, you know, everybody wants us to take it easy. Lighten up. You know, you, Terry, you wouldn't be so emphatic about this if you would just take a little more leisure time. You know what? And that has messed up a whole bunch of Christians. Wreck time is fine. But I see people who go into wreck time and they fold up the camp and they're done. I've known people who said, you know what? I'm going to really give a lot to Jesus Christ when I retire. And I watch God take them home. I've seen people say, well, I've given to the Lord. It's time for me to retire. I'm done. Okay, I'm finished. I don't need to do anything else. Okay, let me ask you a question. I watch people who will work overtime, insane shifts. They will burn out in their jobs so that they can get to go to the grave quickly. And I ask you, will you do it for the Lord? How many of you have lost work, lost sleep in your jobs? Woke up and thought, well, I didn't finish this. I need to get this done. I need to get this accomplished or all this other stuff. How many of you have done it? I remember I've owned several businesses of my own. And everybody says, well, that's great. When you're self-employed, you can choose when you're off. No, you can't. Because you're never off. You're either preparing to do the next job, bidding to hopefully get a job, or you're trying to finish it up so you can get paid for the last job. You know, if you... ah, 
This frustrates me. Let me give you a text that is fascinating. I have used it a time or two when people accuse me of not taking care of myself or I'm trying to burn out or you, you, you don't have no free time. You have leisure. That's the, you need leisure time. You need to go see a movie or go on vacation or something like this. And I give him this text. Okay? Comes out of Philippians. Um, Verse 25, chapter 2. I thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger and ministered to my need. Okay? Messenger means he was a preacher, church in Philippi. Okay? Because he was longing... For you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Right? For indeed he was sick to the point of death. But God had mercy on him and not on him only, but also on me so that I would not have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I sent him all the more eagerly that you may rejoice. Epaphroditus was in the ministry in such a degree that he had worked so hard for the Lord, he had gotten sick. He had literally gambled with his life for the Lord Jesus Christ to the point of almost dying of exhaustion. He was working to serve Paul. That's what it means to minister. Whenever you see the word minister, it just means serve. That's all it means. And he had worked himself to a point of exhaustion, and he was so exhausted that he nearly died. So lost in serving the Lord, he had become deathly ill. He wouldn't quit. That's what he means to work hard, to abound in the work of the Lord. Work of the kingdom. Did you know the work of the kingdom must be done? Did you know the work of the kingdom has got to be done? There are souls to reach, ministries to accomplish. And you know what is really amazing about that? Every single one of you are a part of it. But I'm going to ask you the question. Are you overdoing it? You know what? Love the Lord your God with all your mind, body, and soul. Really? How about your funds? How about your capacities, your gifts? Are you investing in God's kingdom? Paul, I love my brother. I can't wait to spend a few centuries with him in the resurrection. Uh, You know that he's... (laughs) 
Let me show you something. He concludes this. The greatest single teaching that exists on the resurrection. And when he's done with the teaching, he breaks out in praise. Because it dawns on him what he's going through. The heartache that he has for this church. He says, my daily concerns for the church. And yet he praises because he ends the praise with practicality. He stops it, this amazing, wow! With be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. It's not going to be in vain. Resurrection fact. This is truth, brothers and sisters. This is what you are here for to live in the power and the authority and the overwhelming transformation that is coming to each and every one of us. All of this stuff that is in the future has tremendous implications for now. For now. Let me ask you something. I shared this great Thanksgiving in 57. I'll close with this. Thanks be to God. Okay? Stop right here. Right? Thanks be to God. I mean, I look at this room and I've got all kinds of different ages and, 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 and different things going on here. But we would all say, thanks be to God. Right? You know, I'm here. Hallelujah. You saved me. Hallelujah. You know, I'm an American. Hallelujah. I have freedom to worship. Hallelujah. Thanks be to God. Let me ask you a question. Does that gratitude speak in the way you live? The way your life is seen, does it speak of gratitude towards the Lord? Just on the basis of the resurrection. That's what the Apostle Paul is saying here. Always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for my brother Paul. And Lord, uh, the example that he sets before us this day. Overdoing it. Father, I lift Castle Rock Baptist Church to you. Father, may she be known for overdoing it. Father, let us bow our knee. Let us set aside the, the pathetic things of this life and be about the eternal things, the glorious things, the overwhelming things, the things that bring you glory and praise. May our work be in you to your glory and praise.